calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Sidewalk Audio presents Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan, read by the author. Chapter 21, The Army of the Red Hand. Before he died, Deirdre began, the Puka told me that Kilty had the power to destroy all of the land. We were back in the breakfast room. Everyone was there except Fergal. He was still asleep. Do you believe him? Essa asked. I do. He also said that Lorcan needed my help immediately. But I do not know where Lorcan is, or how I can help. Araf and Essa looked at each other, but Dad looked at me with one of those Dad looks. I was going to have to break my solemn vow. I opened my mouth and waited for the lightning bolt to hit me. Lorcan has an army of leprechauns and imps, I said with resignation in my voice. They call themselves the Army of the Red Hand, and they're in the Hazellands. They're planning to attack Kielty. Just don't tell Lorcan the leprechaun I told you. I don't want that guy mad at me. He's mean when he's angry. I don't think he will mind you telling Dad said, holding up his armless hand. After all, he named his army after me. Dad stood and put on his serious face. It has begun. I knew it would. I had just not expected it to be so soon. I fear we are going to war with Castle Dor. Deirdre and I shall leave to join Lorcan's army immediately. This fight is ours, and I will not force anyone to come. If you choose to go home, I will not think any less of you. Fond was first to speak. Neither I nor the Feely will go into battle with you. The memory of the last battle of Castle Dor is still with us. However, I support you. Remember, the freedom of the Feely land is yours. There is always refuge here for you. Dad bowed low, the bow of a king to a queen. And I am with you, Araf said standing. This battle is not only yours. I would have joined my fellow imps even if you had not returned. And I am with you, and so is my father, Essa said as she got to her feet. You can speak for Jared? Mom asked. 
I can. At this moment, he is making his way to meet with Lorcan. How do you know this? Mom asked, her eyes narrowing a bit. Essa reached into her satchel and produced a sheet of gold framed in dark wood. It looked like an old school slate to me. Everyone else gasped in awe. Is that an Allen slate? Araf asked with awe in his voice. It is, Essa said. My father has its twin. What's so special about this? I said, picking it up and casually looking at it. My father snatched the slate from my hand and gave me a look like I had just scribbled on the wall with a crayon. That is probably the most expensive item you have ever held. I imagine it took a room full of gold to set the spell onto that slate. Dad placed it gingerly back in front of Essa. Sorry. What's it do? Whatever is written on this slate appears on its twin slate, no matter where it is. Cool. Like magic email? Everyone, as usual, looked confused. Dad rolled his eyes, but nodded yes. Jared seems to have all the cool stuff, I said. Your dad's like a Tiernanogian James Bond. Who? That was one of the many times I wished I was back in the real world, just so people would get my jokes. Essa, would you send a message to your father for me? Dad asked. Essa nodded yes. Dad turned to his sister. Neve, are you with us? Neve looked down at the table. When she looked up, I could swear she was close to tears. I remember you both as babies. I played with you and Kelty when you were infants. Now, you want me to choose between brothers and go to war with my home. She paused. The decision is difficult, but I have made difficult decisions before. Choosing to attack you, Connor, was the hardest. And now, it seems it may not have been the right thing to do. She stared at her hands for a moment, and then slapped them on the table. I no longer can blindly follow the prophecies of the past. I must be guided by my heart and my mind. Kielty must be stopped. She stood. I am with you, Lord Oisin. Dad's eyes were shining when he bowed to her. Well, I said, I think I'm just going to stay here and work on my tan. Everyone looked at me, completely stunned. Hey, I'm kidding for crying out loud. Of course I'm in. Mom, Pop, I'm sticking with you. Thank you all, Dad said. May the gods be with us. We leave at dusk. Great, came a voice from the doorway. It was Fergal. Where are we going? <laughs> We waited until it was pitch black before we left the Feely Lands. The arrow that we found in the Puka was a banshee arrow, and we didn't want to tangle with those guys again. The only light came from the tiniest sliver of a moon. Sorely, our Feely guide led the way. I swear the Feely can see in the dark. The horses had ribbons in their tails that Fawn said were visible in the dark only to horses' eyes. It must have worked, 
Acorn was perfectly happy to follow behind S's horse. We didn't stop until the sun came up. I was beginning to realize that here in the land I was capable of feats of stamina that would have been impossible back in the real world. Still, I welcomed the break. It was the first time I had a chance to talk to Fergal since our journey began. Mom, Dad, and I had all spoken with him before we left. We were surprised at how sane he seemed. We all agreed it was probably an act and that deep down he was a seething mess. There was talk about leaving him with the feely, but Dad said he had as much right to see this through as the rest of us. Fergal promised he would do as he was told. By the time we left, his smile was almost convincing. He was sitting on a rock eating a packed lunch the feely had made for us. "'How you doing, cuz?' I said. "'I wish people would stop asking me that.' Well, "'That's a rule. When somebody freaks out like you did yesterday, you have to ask him how he is. So, how are you?' "'I'm all right.' I looked at him. "'I really am,' he said. "'Okay, when I start thinking about it, I feel myself tensing up and going crazy, but then I take a few deep breaths and clear my mind, like the imps taught me to do. Then I can go on. I was worried about you. I thought you might do something stupid. Me? He said, flashing me a fertile smile. I never do anything stupid, except when I wake up and stab people. But you don't even have to worry about that. Look, he pointed to his banshee blade and a scabbard on his belt. I tried to get some more gold wire so that I could replace my blade in my sleeve, but the feely don't do that kind of magic. I hate having my sword at my waist, but at least I won't kill you the next time you wake me up. We didn't rest long. Dad wanted to make the Hall of Knowledge before dark. We quickened our pace. Acorn was a star. I could sense... He didn't like being back in the Hazellands, but he trudged on like a trooper. At one point, he let loose a whinny when I started to fall asleep in the saddle. The hours on horseback, the sun, the fresh air, and Acorn's rhythm lulled me into a bit of a hypnotic state. Late in the day, we entered the outskirts of the Hall of Knowledge's grounds. Sorely, our guide was in the lead when we reached a small hill. He turned when he reached the top of the rise. I think he meant to shout a warning but all he managed to do was grunt as he fell from the saddle. He had an arrow sticking out of his chest. That woke me up. It was Big Hair and about ten other banshees. It must have been a scouting party. We had practically stepped on them. I think we surprised them just as much as they did us, but that didn't stop them from instantly going on the offensive. I tried to turn Acorn to get some space between us and the screaming attackers, but as I tried, I saw something fly through the air, and Acorn fell over hard. I got my foot out of the stirrup in time and hit the ground rolling. You hurt my horse, I screamed. You son of a... The first banshee came at me, and I ducked and rolled. When I got to my feet, he came at me holding his sword like a baseball bat. His whole left side was wide open. It was so obvious, I thought that maybe it was a trick. So I decided to parry the blade instead of attacking his weak spot. I was right. The handle of the banshee's sword had a dagger sticking out of it. If I'd attacked on his left, he would have stabbed me. Instead, I planted my back foot and put all of my weight behind my sword. He was so shocked that I had not gone for his weak side that he was completely unprepared for the impact. 
the lawnmower pushed his blade back so hard that his own sword sliced his neck right up to the bone. That's the problem with tricky sword maneuvers. The first time they don't work, they can kill you. I didn't have time to marvel at the fact that I had just semi-decapitated a guy with a parry. There was a lot more fighting going on. I looked around. Everyone seemed to be doing okay. I almost felt sorry for the guys who were attacking Neve and Deirdre. I saw one banshee take a swing at Neve and bounce off her like he had hit a stone wall. Araf and Essa were using sticks against swords, but the way they used sticks, it meant that the swords weren't doing very well. Dad was in a fight with two men. I was just about to go and help him when I saw the banshee with the big hair coming up behind Fergal. Hey, you! I shouted as I ran to intercept. Yeah, you with a bad perm! He probably didn't know what a perm was, but he understood the tone and knew it wasn't a compliment. He turned. The smirk on his face meant he recognized me. Well, I recognized him too. This guy didn't make the mistake the last guy made. No mad advances, no tricks. He just pointed his sword and walked towards me. Up till now, the banshees I had fought hadn't impressed me. Big Hair was the exception. His swordsmanship was good. The two of us cut and parried half a dozen times trying to size each other up. I was very impressed with his speed. His thrusts were so fast that I had trouble seeing them coming. This was a problem. Dad had taught me to cut and parry until my opponent tired. But I had a feeling that his speed would get me before he flagged. I looked for a flaw in his technique and I found it. His attacks were fast, but he hesitated a microsecond afterwards to see if he connected. On his next attack, I shouted ouch, even though he missed me. When he looked, I came at him with a quick jab at his shoulder. He saw it coming and twisted out of the way, but lost his footing and went down. I had no moral qualms about attacking this guy on the ground, but I didn't get a chance. He rolled backwards and was on his feet in a flash. I was going to have to work for this one. And then he did it. The oldest trick in the book. His left hand slid down to the butt of his sword pummel. I thought he might have a dagger stash there, but when his hand came away seemingly empty, I thought nothing of it. That was a big mistake. He closed the distance between us, brought his sword up as if to attack, and then threw something in my eyes with his left hand. I found out later it was sand that had been soaked in lime juice. It felt like he had thrown pins in my eyes. I was completely blinded. I tried to open them so I could defend myself, but my eyelids wouldn't obey. I was as good as a dead man. I swung my sword wildly in front of me while backpedaling. Amazingly, the attack didn't come. He was toying with me. I calmed myself and listened. Maybe if I could hear where he was, I could get a lucky stab that might catch him off guard. I listened. Nothing. Then I heard a soft footstep to my left. I didn't move. I didn't want him to know I could hear him. He was trying to come up from behind me. It was terrifying. I knew I had to wait until he was within striking distance, but I also knew I could get a blade between my ribs at any second. I waited for one more footfall, and I made my move. I spun and sliced into the space I was sure he occupied. My sword hit steel, was parried up, 
and then something hit my hand and I lost my grip. My sword went flying. I was blind and disarmed. I might as well have been naked, too. I toyed with the idea of running, but I knew that would do no good. The last time I thought I was going to die, my life flashed before my eyes. I've always hated reruns on TV, so this time I just raised my arms and said, Do your worst. You have been listening to Shadow Magic, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. To hear more of their fabulous music, please visit their website, www.lunasa.ie. That's www.lunasa.ie. For more information about Shadow Magic or its author, please visit www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you very much for listening.